Storehouse Dallas. This morning we're going to be covering um, uh, what is next to my second favorite chapter um, in the book of Hebrews. I love chapter 7. That's my favorite because it's really the heart of what the writer of Hebrews was trying to convey. And we've really been talking a lot about... Um, the Melchizedek priesthood, and we've been introducing a lot of new concepts to you. And so I just wanted to kind of pause for a minute this morning, and I wanted to share with you um, some of the backstories and, and really kind of give you some meat, uh, some help in, in the on-ramp. Because the thing about the book of Hebrews that <clears throat> makes it a little bit more of a meaty book than some of the other books of, of the New Testament is that it really requires a certain level of knowledge of the Old Testament and some of the Old Testament stories. And um, this morning, um, as we get started, I kind of want to review about, because I'm going to be talking to you about the heavenly temple in chapter 9. And so the whole concept, you know, we're not Jewish. So the thought of a temple seems a little odd, you know, to us. Um, and when I was first saved, I got saved by hearing the audible voice of the Lord. Well, um, you know, not only was I, I was like the most lukewarm, cold Gentile you could be, I was unsaved, whatever. And, and what the Lord told me is he said, I want you to rebuild my temple. Well, my immediate thought was, I'm not Jewish. Why are you saying that to me? But, but there is a place in our lives as a new covenant Christian people for the temple. And so we, I want to talk about that with you and kind of bring all of us um, up to the same water level, if you will. Um, so there's certain elements about this new covenant, this new way of the kingdom that, like I said, that um, they are meat and they do require a certain knowledge of some of the Old Testament stories, you know, about what was happening with David, what was happening with Moses in the wilderness. Why were, why throughout all of biblical history is, does God keep bringing up this temple? Because every time there was an exodus, he would say, let my people go so they can come out and worship me. And, and, and what they would do is they would always build, the people of God would go out to worship him. And in that worship, they would build a tabernacle. They would build a temple. And so the temple in the old and the new covenant is, it represents the earthly point, the earthly connection point between heaven and earth. And so all along, he said, I'm going to talk to you about temples in three ways. So if you take this book from cover to cover, he said, I'm going to talk to you about the temple in three ways. First of all, in the Old Testament, I'm going to show you a temple that is symbolic, Moses, of a heavenly temple. And I'm going to show you all of the elements of this heavenly temple and you're going to take it and you're going to build a physical temple on the earth. But it's a shadow. It's a pattern. And so I'm going to show you, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you what it looks like before I show you the reality of what it is. And so God was prophesying about this temple. And he was saying, I'm going to tell you and you're going to build it 
according to the pattern. And then the second thing he did, and the second way that he came to show us the temple, is he said, listen, I'm going to show you the heavenly temple not made with hands in chapter 9. I'm going to show you a heavenly temple. That this heavenly temple now is a human. It's a person. You have become the temple of the living God. And I'm going to come and I'm going to dwell in that temple. And he said in the third way that I'm going to show you this temple is the very temple itself is going to come down from heaven. It will ascend as a physical temple, the city of God that is going to come down to the earth in the millennial reign when Jesus comes back to rule and reign himself and he puts his physical foot on the earth and says, now it is done forever and ever. I've now returned back to my place of the garden. Amen. So the life of the Jew revolved around the temple, the articles of the temple, the sacrifices, the priests, and the laws. Their days and their calendars were filled with the remembrances and with the feasts. And so everything that they did during their um, year, it was all around the temple life. They focused they, they thought, if you go to a, we, were, we had our time in Baruch Hashem when we were, we were doing all of our construction, which I just think was, it was the Lord, it was the goodness of God, because we got to be around some Messianic Jews whose lives, they understand about uh, the temple, they understand about, they have such an understanding because they all used to be Jews, and now they're still Jews, but they're just like, Jesus was a Jew, the, the, the apostles were all Jewish, and so they became Messianic Jews, basically, still, still honoring the, the, the feasts, but yet also believing in Jesus. And so they, that this, this reality of, of that we became the living heavenly temples was not, uh, they got it. They understood the power of it, and they understood um, uh, the significance of it. So I want to give some context this morning. Um, Jesus came and he spoke to every aspect of temple life. And he said, listen, I have fulfilled all of this now. What was once a shadow has now through me become, I'm going to bring the fullness of that through man. And I'm creating now living temples, living stones, the ecclesia, the church that now walks and talks and breathes with the ark of the covenant, the ark of his presence that has now gone and dwelled within man. He very he clearly said in his word, don't look for heaven here or there, but look for it. It is actually within you. Heaven now resides within you. And you're like, okay, this is a huge concept. What exactly does this mean for my life? And that's why I love Jesus and how he, he takes these symbols and they all have purpose. So if you look at the Old Testament uh, temple and you look at the ark of the covenant now remember these guys are wandering around the wilderness and they've got this ark of the covenant right and they've got it and it's in the temple and you could see the fire of God that would land on the ark of the covenant so when the presence of God came in man you've got this pillar of smoke it is like 
legitimately with your open eyes, you're looking at a pillar of smoke that is just now um, talking with Moses. When the high priest enters in, man, it was game on when the high priest entered in into the Holy of Holies. So there was an element of the presence of God in that place. What was the purpose of the temple? What was it? What was the benefit to the Jewish people to have this temple in their midst? Well, it's very clear in the scriptures that they, that it, number one, the temple worship set them apart. Number two, the temple worship protected them. It gave them a huge advantage over their enemies. It gave them a huge advantage over all of the peoples of the earth. Because the God of heaven and earth, heaven and earth would come together and, 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 and right over that mercy seat. That's where the synergy between heaven and earth would reside, would be on that mercy seat. And so it was something that gave them power. It gave them authority. It set them apart. Hallelujah. Oh, I love that he said, listen, everything you see in the Old Testament is basically a shadow and a type. And I love that because that should give us such great hope because he spoke and then he spoke and he said, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you before I actually show you. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you before I'm going to show you. It's the beauty of prophecy. It is the spirit of Jesus. He's like, listen, I love you so much that I'm actually going to give you an hors d'oeuvre before I give you the main course. I love you so much that I want to make sure that you have an understanding and that you know what's coming. It's just like the book of Hebrews. I'm going to talk to you for several chapters about, about this order of Melchizedek before I actually tell you what it is. So I'm going to tell you that I'm going to tell you that I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to show you. And that's the beauty, and that's the difference between the way the Hebrews teach and the way the Greeks teach. Because the, the Greeks would teach, and they'd say, I'm just going to sit up here, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to talk to you, and I'm going to talk to you, and that's how I'm going to teach you. But the Hebrews, they said, I'm going to, I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to show you, and then I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to show you. So it was the way, it's the difference between the two ways that the mind work. And so God was so good to us that he said, I'm going to tell you before I'm going to show you. <clears throat> so during Hebrews 9, I'm only going to read to chapter, I mean, to, uh, chapter 9, but I'm only going to read to uh, verse 13, and then I'm going to let, no, I'm sorry, uh, verse 14, and then I'm going to let Matthew take it from there. I may have only given you um, in the back, um, Chris, I think I only gave you to verse 13, but I want it to go all the way to 14. So if you'll follow along in your Bible with me while I read, okay? All right, so verse 1. Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared for the first part, in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid with all sides of gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna 
Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory, overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now when these things had been thus prepared, the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic of the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot, which, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerning only with food and drinks, various washings, and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. All right. So I want to put up a picture of the temple life. And I want to talk to you about uh, verses 1 through 5. So he's talking about the temple life, and he's talking about all of the different elements. He's talking about the brazen altar. This was a place that was outside of the actual physical temple. It was in the outer court where they had daily sacrifices so they could use the blood to cleanse the people of their sins. So um, if you're an animal, that was your stopping or your final resting place. Um, uh, then you've got the lavar, which um, this is where the priests washed themselves before they entered the holy place. And so they had to be cleansed before they could enter into the temple. They would go into the temple, into the holy place, where you've got the altar of incense, the candlestick, the table of showbread, and, the, and um, of course, the veil. Um, now, the altar of incense represents the prayers of the saints. The candlestick represents Jesus, the light of the world, the seven spirits of God, and the pure sacrificed olive oil, um, which, which is burning 24-7, and it never stops burning. The table of showbread, the communion, the fellowship with his presence. And then you have the veil, which separates the holy of holies from the holy place. Only the high priest could pass through this veil once a year. Everything in this temple was measured down to the centimeter. It was made in perfection to the instructions that Moses received from the Lord on the mountain. And he was very specific about every article, how every article would be made, how every, the substance it would be made from, the design it would be made from. He, beloved, he was so jealous. He was so intentional. He was so filled with purpose when it came to this temple because he knew that this temple had to do with his son and it had to do with you. He had you in mind when he was designing this. 
the uniqueness and the beauty of this temple and how it would reside within us and we would be the temple of the holy living God. When, uh, when you go through the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat that had a cherubim on each side and inside was the manna, it was Aaron's rod and it was the law, the Ten Commandments. Let's turn to, um, let's look at verse 9, chapter 9, verse 9. It says here, um, I'm going to read verse 9 and 10. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerning only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the order until the time of reformation. Okay, I want you to think about this. So here are all of these priests, and the people know that this is happening. But think about the busyness of all of these activities and how they took place all the time. And so it was it was the sacrifices, the washings, and they knew that all of these things had to be done in order. They all had to be done as the Lord commanded it. And so they were they were uh, so obedient to do it exactly the way the Lord wanted it, but it said with this that it couldn't it couldn't um, wash the human consciousness. So it was it was externally washing things. It was about what they were eating, what they were drinking. And even the word itself says, listen, it is not what you eat that defiles you, but it's what you say that defiles you because it's coming out of the overflow of the human heart. It's coming out of the overflow and that's the thing that defiles us. It's not what we put in, but it's what comes out. And so Jesus is, is about to tell us something so remarkable that, it, that what he did is while all of that, all of that, the, 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 the blood of the, of the bulls and the goats could cleanse what was on the external, it couldn't cleanse what was on the inside, which was the human heart of man. <clears throat> All right, so let's read that. The greater, more perfect tabernacle in um, verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater, more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, meaning he came so he could form you. He could form you, Crystal. He came so he could form you, Shana. He came so he could form you, Chelsea. So he could form you. That your inner life would be, not only did he form you in your mother's womb, did he craft you, your personality, your talents, your gifts, your hair, your eyes, everything about you, the, the, where you would be born, who you would be born into. It was all within the mind of God. But he said, not only that, but that when you said yes to me, I came in and I began to form what is on the inside, the inner workings of the temple. All of these things, the candlestick, the showbread, I'm going to commune with you at the table of showbread. I'm going to have the candlestick on the inside of you, which is my light that will never grow dim and never go out. There's a table of incense. There's incense that goes up before me. And I smell the sweet smelling aroma of the prayers is that as you pray, I join you in these prayers. And then in verse 13, 
12 through 14, he says this, that this is done not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your consciousness or the, your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And so he said, you know, we've got the external and the internal. I love that song that, that, uh, um, that Bethel sings, that, it, that if the inside is the, of the cup is clean, then the outside is clean. And we have been cleansed with the blood of Jesus because he went behind the veil he went behind the veil. He tore the veil. You know, you look at this temple. Uh, you look at, at the, the, the brazen altar. Jesus was sacrificed outside of the temple. He was sacrificed in a place, but yet his sacrifice and what he did there came and tore that veil once and for all. That now we can enter into the holy place because we now, God said there's been an exodus once more. The exodus, there were so many exoduses in the Old Testament, but now there's been an exodus once more where he said, I've called you out and I've called you in now to worship me, but now you're going to worship me in spirit and truth because I have come to live on the inside of you, that I have made you a living soul. Amen? I want to talk to you this morning, and I want to read kind of this triune salvation. There's a John G. Lake. Do y'all remember? How many of you know John G. Lake? Raise your hand. Okay, John G. Lake was uh, a famous evangelist um, back in uh, like 1920, 1930, okay? This man traveled all over the world. He saw hundreds of thousands of people, if not into the millions, um, not only saved but healed. He had the most incredible healing ministry, I think, on record, um, I mean, he went into villages where there was botulism, where there was Ebola, where there was all kinds of diseases. And he would, he, uh, I remember uh, the story that he, somebody was dying and he went there and there was just a hospital filled with people with botulism. And um, the doctors were saying, oh, you need to put on a mask. You need to be careful, blah, 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 blah. And he said, no, 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 I don't. He said, I have, I have the living God on the inside of me. And he, and he took the saliva that was foaming up out of somebody's mouth and he put it on his hand and they were like, the doctors were terrified and he said, I want you to put this under the microscope. And they put his hand with the saliva of this patient under the microscope and they said that that saliva, that there was no disease, it was dead in the palm of his hand because of the power of God. There were so many people that needed to be healed and there was such a long line of people that needed to be healed that he said, I can't continue. I have to go get some rest. I can't heal you, but I'm going to anoint this rock. And if you touch this rock, the rock will heal you. And so people would come and touch the rock and they would be healed. This is actually uh, verified and documented. <clears throat> so with all of this, he said, um, he said, I feel like there's more. I feel like there's more, Lord. There's got to be more. And all of his friends were like, what are you talking about? There's got to be more. Are you kidding me? No sickness or disease stands before you. I mean, it's just remarkable. And he said, no, I'm telling you there's more. There's more. And so he fasted for nine months. And at the end of nine months, he preached this message called triune salvation. 
And he said that the Lord has shown me a generation that's coming upon the earth that is going to be so united and in, in, in unity with as one with Christ that they are going to do even greater works than I've done, even greater works than Jesus did. And so I, there are some excerpts here I wanted to read to you, if that's okay. Um, it's a remarkable uh, it's a remarkable word. Because the truth is, um, when Adam came, um, when, when God created Adam and Adam fell, when Adam fell in the garden and God said those words, where are you, Adam? He knew where he was. He wasn't asking him a question. He knew where he was on the earth. But he, what he was asking him is, is, where are you? Why aren't you in your heavenly place? You've fallen from that heavenly place of communion with me. You have fallen away from that place. That's the place that I can't find you. I know where you are on the earth. But you've left the tabernacle. You've left the heavenly place. You've left the holy of holies. The door has been shut. What have you done? And so John G. Lake said this. The word tells us that God breathed into Adam the breath of life, and man became a living soul. There came a time when God made man. The word tells us he made man's body of the substance of the earth. He made man, the word says, in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Not just in the form that God was, but God breathed into him his own self, his very being. And when he breathed himself into the man, then man became the composition of an earthly substance and a heavenly substance. He was the temple of the heavenly substance in an earthly vessel. Everything, all conditions, spiritual and physical, were subject to that God-man, Adam. The way of sin was this, that man chose to follow the inclinations of his earth being, his animal consciousness, and his body instead of his God-man, his God-being, and his God-spirit. Therefore, the fall of man was his fall into himself. He fell into his own earthly self. Out of his heavenly temple, then he was separated, and it was absolute and complete. Man, having fallen into that condition and being separated from God, he needed a redeemer. Redemption was a necessity because the word of God says you have to be born again. God had to provide the means of getting man back into his original condition in which he once was. But one man cannot save another because man is of the earth. One cannot elevate another into a spiritual condition or put that one in a spiritual condition which is not in himself. Thus it became necessary for God in order to redeem the race, to provide a means of reuniting God and man. So Jesus was born, even as Adam had been made, he was begotten of God. Adam left his heavenly estate, and the only way to restore him 
was through the blood of the uncreated God and his supernatural spirit, which is why God said you must be born again, not only born again, but you must be filled with the Holy Spirit. You must be baptized in fire, not just water. But he said, you must be baptized in fire. Beloved, I'm telling you, there is a second baptism that is available for the body of Christ, and we have to preach this baptism because it is the baptism of Jesus. If you have not been baptized in fire and the Holy Spirit, I'm telling you, I encourage you to do so because the indwelling Spirit of God will enter into you and you will see and you will hear in the Spirit. Woo! Jesus was of earth and heaven. He was a human frame that came to create a new uh, race of priests whose temples will house the breath and the presence of God. A new race of priests who will rule and reign with him to bring heaven to the earth. Thank you, Lord. Heaven, the word says heaven must retain him until the restoration of all things. It says that in the book of Acts. Heaven must retain Jesus. That means that Jesus is not going to return until there is a people on the earth who have apprehended the reality of the order of Melchizedek, that they are both priests and they function as priests, lifting themselves up, praying to God in the spirit and praying back to the earth the very words that they hear from God. And you become the temple. You become the temple and the connection point where heaven meets the earth. And we will rule and reign in that place. These priests that we are called to be is the perfection of the priesthood. It says this in the book of Hebrews that there is a perfected priesthood coming upon the earth. It is the bride of Christ who is perfect and spotless and she has made herself ready to begin to usher in Jesus. Jesus will return when we beckon him home. That's why the spirit and the bride say come Come, Jesus, come. How do you say come? You just repeat what he says when you hear what he says. Mary was doing it. What did she do? She began to prophesy. She said, wait, heaven is saying something that I'm going to now release. The minute that she releases it, the words are in the atmosphere. Okay, why? Okay, I'm just going to say this really quick because this is the, this is the, if you want to know what a priest and a king does, I want to tell you, and this is a summary of it. This is what your job description is. I want to ask you a question. Why did the Roman soldiers uh, bid and and cast lots for Jesus' clothing? Because it was prophesied. The word of God controls all that happens on the earth. He controls the hearts and minds of men through his word, through his priests. And you are perfected when you release what heaven is saying. And then what goes out is is that the, the word of God goes out and it will not return void. It will not return void. And so in your job, at your home, 
with your children, in your health, every relationship that you have. God has something to say. And if you want to be the perfected priest, you have to go before God and say, God, what do you have to say about this? Because I know you have a word. I know you have a thought. I know you have a perspective. And I want to release those things into the earth. Amen? You see, Jesus didn't come just to get you into heaven, but he came to get heaven into you. And on that note, I will leave it at that. And so why don't we stand, and I'm going to pray over you as living temples. Could we play some worship music? So, Father, I thank you for all that you're doing. I thank you, Lord, that we are your living temples. Boy, you went to a lot of trouble. You went to a lot of trouble. You know, I know it wasn't trouble for you, but thousands of years, Lord, thousands of years to display your majesty and and what you had in your heart all along. That you're after a temple, living stones, living temples, not made with human hands, but made by the power of your Holy Spirit. That you have cleansed us, you have come within us, and you have written your name and your words on our hearts and on our minds. That our conscience is now cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And as the inside has been cleaned, we can now say what you say with clean hands and a pure heart. And we can speak to the things on the earth. And we will discern rightly because of you, Jesus. Father, I pray for everyone here. I pray that you will be blessed in your temple life. I pray that you'll be blessed as you you love one another, as you love your brothers, as you love your wives as you love your sisters, as you love your children, that you really get a perspective of God's heart and get a perspective of God's mind. God, I thank you that you know everything and you see everything. Yeah, and we just thank you, Lord, that that you still, every day, the light never goes out on the inside of us. The light never goes out. That you burn 24-7 within our human frames. So I pray today, God, that you would show us the revelation of the high priest of the order of Melchizedek, Lord, and of this temple life that we live. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you've been inspired by this message, we invite you to partner with us by visiting storehousedallas.com forward slash give.